Well, God bless you folks. Turn with me uh, today to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We have finished looking at chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel as a look at who Jesus is. And now chapter 12 is going to continue further into who he is. And we're going to see a lot in chapter 12. We're going to see much of who Jesus is, uh, where Jesus' authority lies. And so if you will stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's Word, let us read together verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we thank you for giving us your word. And you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is directly calling us to see who He is, but more importantly, Father, what the gospel is and where salvation rests. And so, God, today, this day that we set aside by your command to pause in the week to worship, I pray, God, that you would cause us to see here what your Son, Jesus, is teaching us and how we approach His authority, but how we approach honoring You on this day. Lord, let this time be for You. Let us see who Christ is. Let us, Lord, come to Your throne at this moment and hear directly from You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Please have a seat. We come now to this new chapter in Matthew's Gospel. And remember that chapters 11 and 12, they reveal much about who Jesus is. And, and we see who Jesus is through, through the responses from people to His teachings and to His miracles. And chapter 12 is going to show us an extensive look into, into Jesus' authority, His authority over the law, primarily. And the, and verse, the first eight verses here that we just read, they, they give us insight into Jesus' authority over a particular aspect of God's law, particularly His Sabbath law. Now, many's going to, many look at these first eight verses and, and they focus on Jesus' redefinition of the Sabbath. Now, that's true that this scene is with the disciples and the Pharisees, and it occurs as they walk through a field and begin to eat of the grain on the Sabbath day. But I think there's much more at stake here between Jesus and the Pharisees than merely how to behave on the Sabbath. There's much deeper truth here. This passage is not simply about the Christian interpretation of the Sabbath. 
There's a larger and I think more important point here, and Jesus is at the heart of this lesson. I don't want us to miss this. A regular tension, and we see this in this text, a regular tension is seen in, in the Gospels between Jesus and the, the rabbinic legalists, the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who took the Mosaic law to an extreme. Okay, That's why I call them rabbinic legalists. It wasn't that the Mosaic law was legalistic. It was the rabbinic tradition that made it legalistic. Okay? And these legalists from this tradition of the rabbis, they often accuse Jesus of blasphemy in the Gospels. And Jesus always rebukes them for substituting human wisdom for the revealed teaching of Scripture. Every time we see this tension between the, between Jesus and these leaders, that's at the heart of it. They have placed human wisdom and tradition above scripture. And that's the tension. And Jesus always, always wants to re, recorrect that. He wants to recenter the purpose of the law. And at the heart of this conflict, here in what we've just read, was the proper understanding of Scripture. I think that's what we're going to see here in the context of the Sabbath. Now, all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus contrasting the teachings of these legalists with the true will of God. And here's what's at the heart of it. The rabbinic tradition, the rabbis, these Pharisees and these scribes, they focused on morality, good behavior, obedience, but Jesus focuses on God's true spirit, not only for man's benefit, but for God's glory. And that's what we're going to see here today. All right, so let's take a look here at this text. Let's look here at Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read this together. Matthew tells us, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, it's possible that this scene here in Matthew 12 continues chronologically from chapter 11, um, but I think it's also likely that Jesus is in a totally new scene here at the beginning of chapter 12, too. doesn't necessarily mean it's chronological, but it, that's irrelevant. Verse 1 here, I think, shows us two major offenses on the Sabbath. One, Jesus and His disciples were walking in the grain fields. They were walking on the Sabbath. But walking on the Sabbath was a big no-no. The second thing we're going to see here is the idea of harvesting the grain was also a no-no on the Sabbath. But I'm actually going to go a little bit deeper. There were actually 39 specific types of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath by the rabbinic tradition. The rabbis, the Pharisees and the scribes, they developed 39 specific no-nos on the Sabbath that you could not do. They got that detailed. And you can even find that to this day. You can look at the, the Hebrew tradition, the Hebrew teachings. They have a list of 39 things you are not to do on the Sabbath. And I would say about 30 of those 39 all have to deal uh, mostly with uh, with agriculture. And so I don't know if our modern days we need to worry about that much anymore. How many of us are going to go home and, and pluck grains of wheat? I don't know. Because we don't want to get in trouble with the Pharisees and the rabbis. You see the point here. But I think you could also add to this, I mean, not only do we see walking and harvesting going on here, I mean, if you really wanted to get nitpicky, and these Pharisees and these rabbis, or these scribes, they may have even gone there with this, one could also add additional 
uh, grievances. One could ask, well, we could, we could add the winnowing and the threshing of the grain because if you pick the pluck, if you pick grain from the wheat, you've got to like rub it between your thing, your hands and get the chaff off of it and blow it away so you could get to the, the kernels. So not only were they walking and not only were they harvesting, they were also having to get the kernels out of the, the wheat to eat it. So they were just in trouble all around. But let's look here. Jewish law did allow for gleaning by the poor. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, but also the story of Ruth. She was gleaning when she got Boaz's attention. She was gleaning because she was poor. So the, the, the Mosaic law did allow for the poor to glean. Now here Jesus and his 12 were walking through the grain fields and they were hungry, it says here in verse 1. Why were they hungry? They weren't rich. When you went to serve Jesus, it was not a high-paying position. And they were walking through a grain field that clearly was not their own. And they were taking grain and corn or, or whatever, grain from someone else's field, which in the law was allowed for the poor. Yet they were doing it on the Sabbath. And the, and the Pharisees were, oh, what are you doing? Now, walking as well was a problem because on the Sabbath, walking was limited to at best going transferring the measurement system from then to now. We would understand it at roughly half a mile from your home at best and only if it was necessary on the Sabbath. That was it. Now, Jesus and his disciples didn't really have a home during this time. They were traveling and teaching and preaching and Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. So he was going to be condemned no matter what he did on the Sabbath. So these 39 forbidden activities were on the Sabbath, the idea of Shabbat. And literally Shabbat means ceasing. That's what this day was for, to cease from working, cease from activity. But these 39 activities were actually addendums to the original Mosaic law concerning Sabbath, and the tradition became more important than the law. Now let's look here at verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so these Pharisees, they rebuked Jesus directly for allowing his students to do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But remember, here's where their ideas are coming from. And Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 in the Ten Commandments says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the Pharisees were following this command. In their minds, they were rebuking Jesus because the Sabbath day was to be kept holy. Now, the modern picture of Pharisees, we, we look at the Pharisees as legalists, and I think we're right in doing so. But I don't think that we can paint all of the Pharisees with a broad picture of, of, of failures because... Let's think about this. While it is clear that Jesus does clash with the Pharisees often, I think it's also fair to mention that many of the tradition in the Pharisees, they did honor the Sabbath and they celebrated it with joy. Not only that, Paul himself comes from the tradition of the Pharisees. Now, were they wrong in their interpretation of, of the law? A lot of the times they were. 
and they were condemned rightly so. But we also know that in the book of Acts, many of the Pharisees joined the church as brothers. But we see in these verses examples of tradition over holiness. Actually, what we see here, it's understood as the letter of the law became more important than the spirit of the law. You'll see that even in legal circles today. Uh, sometimes a judge in a court may, may pass judgment based on the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Let's say that you get a ticket for speeding. You're doing 65 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. Some of you may hear that and say, well, throw them under the jail. But what if the person doing 65 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone is rushing somebody to the emergency room who is bleeding to death? Spirit of the law versus letter of the law. Now, let's take a look here at verse 3 and 3 through 7. Now we see in verses 3 through 7, now that we've set the tone, the set the stage here, the Pharisees, they're honoring the Sabbath. They're doing so by condemning Jesus for dishonoring the Sabbath. And Jesus is looking at them and he's going to rebuke them. And rightly so. We see that Jesus rebukes these Pharisees in verses 3 through 7 with three arguments. Here in verses 3 through 4, Jesus gives the example of David in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And then in verse 5, he condemns them because the priests themselves, by the Pharisees' definition, would be profaning the Sabbath by working in service to the temple on the Sabbath. And then in verse 7, Jesus gives one last argument and a rebuke. He explains the prophet Hosea's condemnation of missing the meaning of the Sabbath ceremony. Talking about, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, we're not going to take a lengthy amount of time. I'm not going to go deep into each of these examples, uh, but I think a brief summary is sufficient to lay out the meaning of Jesus' rebuke. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? Jesus is using the example of David and his men to compare to what he and his disciples are doing. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we read where David comes to the priest Ahimelech at this place called Nob, and and David asks the priest for food to sustain his hungry men. Now, the mission that David was on and his army was on, this mission was a holy one, and the men have kept themselves pure. That was one of the questions of the priest. Are your men pure? Are they holy? Now, what he meant by that was, Have your men, your soldiers, stayed away from women. That was the intent there. But even deeper there, the mission itself that David and his men were on was seen as a holy mission. And so David and his men were hungry at this time. And Ahimelech, the priest, he gives them all the bread that he has at the moment which only the bread he had was the holy bread, the show bread, the bread that was set before God's presence. Now, legally, these men were not to take this bread. Only the priests, by the Levitical law, were allowed to take this bread. Yet the example of David here in 1 Samuel 21 is, yes, you're hungry, take the bread. And so Jesus uses this example with the Pharisees. Now, the next example he uses here in verses 5 through 6 
He now looks up and he says, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What does he mean there? We know in the Mosaic Law, and you can see this in Numbers chapter 28, as God is instructing Moses in the law of the different types of sacrifices that were to be given. God commanded Moses to offer specific burnt offerings at their appointed time. That's Numbers chapter 28, verse 2. And the offerings listed in Numbers chapter 28, they vary. The offering, the offerings were sacrificed in the temple every day. But they were also weekly on the Sabbath. They were monthly. And then there were times of special sacrifice on the Passover and on several of the feast days. But notice here that on the Sabbath, every week, there was a specific sacrifice, a burnt offering given on the Sabbath. Now, in order to do that, the priests had to literally work. So were the priests in violation of the Sabbath law? No. Jesus is pretty wise here in his rebuke of these Pharisees. So, but we look here even deeper. Let's look here at verse 6. Because this goes even deeper into the temple. Because in verse 5, Jesus is talking about the priests in the temple profaning, quote-unquote, the Sabbath in obeying the Mosaic law. But in verse 6, here's what he says. Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you are so concerned with keeping the Sabbath law, I am greater than the temple that you seek to honor. And, And it's not just Jesus here, it's also the whole Spirit of the Mosaic law. It's the spirit of God's law that he's talking about here is greater than the rituals of the temple. And they're missing it. So if Jesus, who is greater than the temple, is condemned by these Pharisees for working on the Sabbath, then the priest who there too must be condemned for obeying the law. And I would say even some of these Pharisees had responsibilities on the Sabbath as well. Aren't you condemned? Let's look here, it goes even deeper, verses 7 through 8. Now Jesus goes even deeper. He now goes and he cites Hosea, the prophet, verse 7. And if you had not known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now what is he saying here? I want to flip over to Hosea chapter 6, and I want us to read the first six verses to get the understanding of what exactly Jesus is talking about here. We looked at this back in Matthew's Matthew chapter 9, when, when Matthew was converted, when Jesus called Matthew, do you remember us talking about that uh, several months back? When, G, when Matthew the tax collector was called to follow Jesus, the Pharisees condemned him there too for calling a tax collector. And Jesus uses this same passage to show them that they are missing the bigger point. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. Here's what the prophet Hosea has to say, and this is what Jesus is referring to. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. 
His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. Verse 6, For I desire steadfast love or mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's what the prophet Hosea has to say. This idea of verse 6, for I desire steadfast love is also understood as mercy. And this is the Hebrew word of chesed, God's patient presence. Patience. Steadfast love is an act of mercy upon the fallen. And that's what God desires more than sacrifice. That's what God wants. He, he loves the fallen so much that he's patient with them. He loves them so much that he wants them to see his mercy and his grace. More than that, he loves them so much, he wants them to know him. Verse 3 of Hosea chapter 6, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And then in verse 6, the knowledge of God rather than the burnt offerings. The knowledge of God is the point here above the sacrifice and the rituals. How many of us know God? How many of us in this room are confident that God knows us? What does it mean to know God? It means to, number one, through God's grace, He reveals Himself to us so that we can know Him. To know God begins with God Himself and His grace toward us. That's what He desires. And so Jesus repeats here the prophet Hosea's condemnation. Let's go back over uh, to Matthew chapter 12. What Jesus is doing here, He's repeating Hosea, and He's condemning the Pharisees the same way that Hosea's prophecy is condemning the wayward children of God for missing the greater meaning of the law. There's a greater principle at work in the law of God, something greater than loyal observance to the Sabbath tradition. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. But there's a bigger point in this passage in Matthew chapter 12 I want us to see. What is Jesus saying? He's Jesus, even though he's pointing out the errors of the Pharisees, just like the Pharisees were pointing out the errors of his disciples, okay? Jesus is rebuking them for rebuking. And now the bigger point here, though, I think is this. It's not so much the Sabbath as it is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the law. Jesus is Lord of the law, and the Sabbath law is a part of the whole. It's not just about the Sabbath here. Yes, Jesus even says here in verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yet, what the point here is, is that God's law is that we would know Him and that He has shown us who He is. He's shown us His sin, our sin, and that's what the law is. The law of God is intended to show us who God is by showing us our sin, showing us our immorality, 
to show us who our Savior is. Let's take a a closer look at this encounter here between Jesus and the Pharisees. Let's go back here, verses 1 through 8, and let's point out here exactly what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees claim authority over the law here in verse 2. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. That is a, a declarative phrase of we know what the law says and you are breaking it. The Pharisees claim authority here over the law. But they're claiming authority over God's law. God wrote His law on tablets of stone by Himself. When you go back and read Exodus chapter 24 and Moses' encounter on the mountain with God, the first set of tablets... God hands to Moses and says, here is my life. He wrote on the tablets. God himself. But God wrote his law on stones of by himself. Why does he do this? So that his will would be made known to the people. Not necessarily just by an oral tradition. And this is an error that I've heard in, in, Bible, in, in Sunday school and Bible studies a lot, that the original Mosaic Law was an oral tradition and it only got written down centuries later. That's mistaken. God wrote His law on tablets of stone so that it was permanent. It would not be changed. So that we would have a record. Amen? Neither is God's law revealed to us through spiritual enlightenment with somebody sitting in a wood somewhere going on and they have a vision. God gives us His Word, literal words on literal stone and also commanded to Moses to take to the people. Now clearly this law became the basis for Moses and the elders of Israel to continue writing as God revealed even further details of His law. And this is why we now have the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, compassionately known as the Pentateuch. So God gives us the law. It's written down. And why is this important? Because when we look at verses 1 through 8 of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus repeats a very important phrase here several times. It's, have you not read? Notice this. He says this in verse 3 and in verse 5. But when the Pharisees, look here verse 3, he said to them, have you not read what David did? And then in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? That's the point here. Jesus is reminding the Pharisees, Have you not read what God gave you? He also, and then at the end, when you look at verse 7, And if you had known what this means, that's also a continuation of reading. If you had read the law, if you had read the prophets, you would have known what Hosea's prophecy means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus is repeating this very important lesson by rebuking the religious elites who claim authority over the law 
Jesus says, haven't you read it? He says, and, and this idea of have you not read is not just repeated here in Matthew chapter 12. Just, just in Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus says this again in Matthew chapter 19, and then twice in Matthew chapter 21, and then at the end of the gospel, Matthew 22. This is a common theme throughout Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees and the scribes. Have you not read? And so this phrase, I think, is important for us to see Jesus as the authority over the law of God. Jesus, it's important that Jesus is emphasized here. Have you not read is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. This phrase of have you not reading scripture, in other words, knowing the law, reading God's word is as important to Jesus as the law of God is important to In other words, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is not replacing the law of God. He's showing how important the law of God is, but also how important it is to understand the true meaning of it. Remember that, that, that Jesus rebukes with harsh language anyone who distorts God's law. We saw this back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is honoring God's word here. Jesus is honoring the authority of Scripture here. By reminding the Pharisees and the scribes, here is what the Sabbath means. That's the point. Here's what the great theologian B.B. Warfield said about how Jesus' approach to Scripture and his view of Scripture. Here's what B.B. Warfield says. In the Savior's view, the indefectible, that's a big word, indefectible, in other words, there's no defect, The indefectible authority of Scripture attaches to the very form of expression of its most casual clauses. It belongs to Scripture through and through down to its minutest particulars. That is of the indefectible authority. Of course, that's big big words from B.B. Warfield. In other words, God's Word is without defect. And even the smallest little part of God's law is authoritative because it is part of the whole. And Jesus is not changing any of this. So the point here of Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, has, I think, less to do with keeping the Sabbath law. And even though Jesus does clarify that He is the Lord of the Sabbath and that He is greater than the temple... Since the law is written on the hearts of true worshipers of God, that's what we see in Jeremiah 31. I think what Jesus is showing us here is that He is the temple greater than the temple in Jerusalem, and the heart of God is established in the heart of His faithful. And that's bigger. That's bigger. Amen? And so Jesus is saying here that He is Lord of the Sabbath as He is the authority of God's law. Period. 
Remember in verses 7 through 8 where he says, if you had known, what he means here is then, if you had known, then you would have read the Scriptures. And Jesus fulfills the law. He fulfills all of the Scriptures. So, therefore, anyone who claims to be an expert in the law, who claims to be an expert of Scripture, this is why when you are teaching God's Word, there is a sense of reverence and authority here that must be remembered. This is why when I step into the pulpit every Sunday, my knees are weak. And I am nervous. And I am terrified. And those of you in this room who do teach Bible studies regularly, I hope and pray you feel the same every time you gather in front of the people that God has given you in your sphere of influence. Are you terrified of teaching this? I hope so. Because there is an authority here in God's Word that is beyond us. And that's what Jesus is saying. The authority is me, he says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that he is also Lord of the law because the Sabbath is part of the law. Verse 8, Jesus then is the Lord of all Scripture. He's the Lord of the law, therefore he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And, And we must clarify here that Jesus does not change this law one bit. His authority fulfills it. His authority lives it. His authority shows it. And that's what he's telling these Pharisees and these scribes. The law has a spirit, and Jesus shows here in these actions, this interaction with the Pharisees and the scribes, that the letter of the law is in submission to the spirit of the law, and especially it's all in submission to the one, Jesus Christ, who, in, who is in authority over all of it. And Jesus subjects here the authority of tradition underneath the authority of Scripture. The Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. And the proper acknowledgement of authority here is to Jesus Himself, not to the Sabbath law. But here's the thing, too. In our tradition now, we no longer refer to Sabbath. We refer to the Lord's Day. Is that what today is? That's what we're seeing here as well. Jesus is saying, yes, the Sabbath law is part of God's law, but you've missed the point. I, the one who is in authority over all of God's law because I fulfill it, I, this day is mine, he's saying. This is why we call this day the Lord's day. We don't call it the Sabbath day anymore because this day is the Lord's day. A day set aside one day in seven to worship our Lord on his day. And because we worship on Sunday morning, it's because it is on this day, Sunday morning, it's the day of resurrection, the day that death was conquered. The penalty of sin is death. And so the penalty of sin has been conquered on this day, the Lord's day. This is why we worship. Now, if we look at Mark, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but a further thing to think about here in Mark chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 12 is that in Mark's account, Mark chapter 2 verse 27, here's what he says. He adds one extra thing that Matthew's gospel does not have. Mark chapter 2 verse 27 says this. These are the words of Jesus. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That was an addition to even this account in Matthew's gospel. But I think it helped clarifies further the meaning of what Jesus is saying here. 
the understanding of Sabbath is that God provided Sabbath for two things. For man's benefit. Anybody thankful for one day of rest? Even though how many of us in this room are actually going to rest today? God provided Sabbath for man's benefit, but God in His goodness also calls us to honor Him this day, and that's beneficial to Him as well, to us as well. To honor God on this day is as beneficial to us as any other rest that we could get. But the other thing to think about here is remember what, why Jesus and His disciples were rebuked. They were rebuked for walking and gleaning and, and picking heads of grain because they were hungry. The bigger spirit of God's law is all that is good is what God expects, and he, he wants that. So it would be good for the hungry on the Lord's day to eat. It would not be a bad thing. God, God in His goodness would not want men to starve to death on the Sabbath. So revering God as creator on the Sabbath, I think, reflects the creation narrative from Genesis chapter 1. You remember that? The creation narrative, all seven days of creation, and on the final day, God rested from all of His work as part of creation. But it's again, it's not about the Sabbath day here. It's about the authority of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, here. The reverence to the Creator is to man's benefit. So on this day, the Lord's day... We rest from labor as we rest in the Lord. What we see in this story here in Matthew 12 between Jesus and the Pharisees, I think, is clarifying the authority over the law of God. Man does not define the meaning of the Scripture. Man does not define the law of God. God's Son does. So therefore, today is the Lord's day. Period. And so this passage, I think, speaks more about Jesus' authority than it does about the proper definition of Sabbath. If Jesus is the authority spoken of in the prophets, then how much more authority does He possess over our hearts and our lives? That's what we're seeing here as well. If the heart of the redeemed is the location of where the kingdom of heaven rests, if the true meaning of God's law is that His creation would adore Him and worship Him, then the Sabbath is that rest we have in Christ. He is our rest. He's the authority over all the commands to work and the authority of the commands to rest. And so that's why today is His day. The, the rest that we have on the Lord's day is that rest in Him. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, we'll close with this. All of chapter 4 speaks about God's rest. But I'm going to look particularly at verses 8 through 13. The writer of Hebrews says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning and thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we look at Hebrews chapter 4, we see several things here about the meaning of Christ as our rest. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 says that there will be some who do not enter into His rest because of their disobedience. Then in chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, there will be those who enter the Sabbath rest, but the only ones who come into Sabbath rest in verses 3 through 4 are those who believe. Believe in Christ. The rest, the fulfillment of the law. Now, those who disobey, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, those who disobey and they fail to enter the rest of Christ, the rest of our Lord. And so the point here is this, that Jesus is the fulfillment not only of the Sabbath law, but of God's law as a whole, which gives Him the authority to define it. And so therefore, if Jesus and His disciples were eating heads of grain on the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, He is the authority to say, this is good and this is fine because the Spirit of my law is for the benefit of man. So here's the question as we close. How many of us first of all, enter into Christ as our rest, but also as the authority of all of God's Word. How many of us define God's Word on our own? Based on our circumstances, based on our emotions, our experiences, based on what we need in the moment? Or is Christ the authority of God's Word? Is He the authority of the law of God? Yes. Do we understand that? Do we enter into that? If we do, then we are entering into the the rest of the Sabbath that the writer of Hebrews tells us here. Do we follow the letter of the law in trying to obey God, or do we believe in the authority of the law and rest in that? The author of the law, Jesus Christ, who is the authority of the law. Do you depend upon the one of whom we read about in God's law. That's the point here, I think, of Matthew chapter 12 in this encounter with the Pharisees. Now, we just looked at at this one encounter of, of the Sabbath breaking, of eating on the Sabbath and picking grain. We're going to continue next week and look at even further Sabbath breaking on the very same day as Jesus now has a miracle and He heals someone on the Sabbath. Apparently, this particular Sabbath day was just one big long day of Sabbath breaking. And Jesus is showing all day long who He is. And that's amazing. That's the point. My question here as we leave here, what will you do today to honor this Lord of ours? Jesus is the point. And let's just be 
honest with ourselves and confess that how many of us on Sunday afternoon leave this place, this house of worship, and go home and work harder this afternoon than we do all day long or all week long. There are things that have to be done. I get it. But are we entering into Christ today? He is the authority of His Word. He's the authority of His law. And if the law does command us to take a day of rest, and we should, are we honoring Christ by entering into Him today? Let's pray. Father God, You have given us Your Word. And Your Son, Jesus Christ, is teaching us the true spirit of Your law, the spirit of Your Word. And that spirit is knowing you, the Father. So this day that we stop at the beginning of the week, Father, that we set aside in honoring the resurrection of your Son and honoring you as your Word commands us to do, I pray, God, that today you would go with us and your Spirit would stir within each and every one of us a reminder of the authority of this day. Because the authority of your word is, is who we worship today. I pray, God, that today you would cause us to stop in our busyness and to reflect upon and worship your son. I pray, God, as every family leaves here this afternoon and in every home, this afternoon, that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Presence would fill that house in such a way that we would stop in awe of not the day of rest, but the one who we enter into for rest. Dear God, you are the authority of this day. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who rose from the grave on this day. And we pause and we worship, and we rest in You. Forgive us, dear God, where we are so eager to define Your law our own way, where we are so eager to earn Your favor by being good that we miss the bigger point that only Christ is the best and the good. Teach us, Father, today who is an authority, not us, but you, and you've granted that authority to your Son. Let this day be for you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.